Jan Richardson offers a blessing of belonging. She writes, you hardly knew how hungry you were to be gathered in, to receive the welcome that invited you to enter entirely. You began to breathe again. You, you learned to sing. Our transformational theme for the month of September is belonging. So right now, for a moment or two, I invite you to call to mind a time when you knew and or felt that you belonged. Some of you have done this just this week in the class that we're doing, but I invite you to do it again or for the first time. Call to mind a time when you knew or felt that you belonged. To a place, a group, a community, to earth, wherever it was or is. Got it? What did it feel like, or what would it feel like in your body to know that you belonged? What impact did that sense of belonging have on you? It's a beautiful thing, belonging. Here's a a writing from Scott Taylor in our small group packets this month. Richardson, Jan Richardson, from whom the blessing comes, begins with hunger, and so do we. Just saying the word belonging conjures it up. The primal hunger to be included, the longing to be let in. No one likes being outside the circle. No one likes leaning against the locked door listening while everyone is laughing inside. From the time we are small, belonging is the thing we seek. It is the hoped for holy grail, the promised resting place. To be a part of some group, our families, our workspace, our civic and community groups, our, our hacker groups, our churches and congregations, it's a beautiful thing, belonging. You may not have ever thought about this when you were in that space where you knew you belonged and you felt what you felt in your body and you consider the impact that sense of belonging had on you, but how did the space change because you were there? When you belonged, how did the space change because you were there? We often say that each new person that enters the space or a community, that the community changes in some way. I say that here. It may be subtle. 
It may be that gradual shift. It may be so imperceptible that we don't even notice that it's happening. But with each new person that comes in, each new idea, each new challenge, each person's story, the landscape, the space, the people in it are affected and changed in some way. It's a beautiful thing, belonging. And so it is with new folks who join this community, even those who were here only once as a visitor. There's the opportunity for anyone to belong, even if it's just for a short time. But here's the rest of Jan's, Jan Richardson's belonging. And I will say that I disagree a bit. <laughs> I'll start with the first part of the blessing so that you remember. You hardly knew how hungry you were to be, gather, to be gathered in, to receive the welcome that invited you to enter entirely. You began to breathe again. You learned to sing. But the deal with this blessing is that it will not leave you alone. It will not let you linger. This blessing will ask you to leave, not because it has tired of you, but because it desires for you to become the sanctuary that you have found. Our own belonging is only the beginning. That's what Richardson wants us to know. One minute she's wrapping us in comforting words about settling in and allowing ourselves to finally breathe. And the next she's shaking us awake and telling us to get up and go. But she's not necessarily telling us to leave this place, this place where we found belonging, but she's reminding us that belonging belongs to all of us, that all are welcome in the circle, welcome at the table. There is an infinite amount of belonging that we can help create. She's reminding us, at least in my mind, that this Unitarian Universalist Church of Loudoun, this congregation is not a social club, but is a community bound by covenant. Agreements that we make between ourselves and that we make anew each time we move back from the center to make room, to allow others to also belong. All are welcome means all in this ever-expanding circle of community and belonging. So Matters reminds us that this is no gentle invitation, friends, no sweet reminder to think of others. It's a warning, a desperate hope that we will wake to the fact that there are two kinds of belonging, one that wants to bless us and another that wants to enlist us. It wants to enlist us in creating belonging for all. The middles class last week explored and wrestled with this quote by Brene Brown. This is also in the adult packet. The opposite of belonging is fitting in because fitting in is assessing a group of people and changing who you are. But true belonging never asks us to change. It never asks us to change who we are. 
It demands that we be who we are. And I, I would add, as they say, warts and all, I hope that this is a place where you can be who you are and not have to change who you are to merely fit in. It sounds amazing to be able to belong just by being ourselves, doesn't it? It almost seems impossible to believe with all that we've gone through in our lives and how we've been socialized. How do we do that, though, in a community of size? Does being who we are mean that we can do whatever we want? It does not. Not in a community or a group that sustains over time. And certainly not in the Unitarian Universalist faith tradition. It means that you can be who you are and choose to be healthy in community. It means that we come in without needing to change who we are to belong, and yet we show up wanting to participate in a way that is also accepting of others. One of the main purposes of any healthy religious group is personal and communal transformation. As we spend time in community, our faith gets more well-formed. We grow, and yes, we change. Sometimes slowly, gradually, and sometimes there's a sudden epiphany or awakening. As we grow, as individuals, the community also grows and undergoes its own faith formation process. Over the past month, I've been pondering the culture of this congregation, how we know to treat each other over time, and what a healthy congregation, a healthy congregational system looks like, because we're in a system, right? And I've especially pondered this as it relates to belonging rather than fitting in. A healthy congregational system has guidelines that are developed and are transparent as to how things work, how newcomers and long-timers alike access the ministry that's available, not just the minister, but all of the programs and caring services, faith formation and justice work. We might call those practical ways of belonging. Well, several years ago, um, probably about 10 years now, before I became your minister, um, before I even knew about this congregation, this congregation developed and participated in a process to create a covenant of loving relations. In many congregations, this is called a covenant of right relationship. And someone here said, someone of fond memory said, I, I'm going to paraphrase this too, because I wasn't there. I think there's a chance we may not always get it right for right relationship, but we can always be loving. The question I'm pondering is how do new folks know 
about this and what it entails? How do we continue to let people know the practical part of this covenant of loving relations? Well, any new member who signs this, this membership book that has been in existence since the very first member, any new member agrees to abide by this covenant of loving relations by sign, when they sign the membership book. That's, that's one of the things that signing the membership book um, entails, that you agree to abide by that covenant. But I wondered how the culture around that gets perpetuated because we don't really talk about it a lot as a larger body. And then it occurred to me that I'm the minister. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I've been gifted this pulpit by this congregation. It's my job. I can preach about this. So a refresher on the covenant of loving relations. There's a beautiful preamble that I'm going to read the last part of. In times of growth, we will use this covenant, I'm again summarizing, we will use this covenant to deepen our bonds with one another. During times when we are loving well, it will inspire us to love better. And in times of conflict, we will use it to guide us. We expect this covenant to be challenging, but we also expect us to inspire us to strengthen our relationships and deepen our sense of community. The covenant itself offers supporting each other in times of joy and in times of need, treats e treat each other with kindness, respect, and compassion, It calls us to own and speak our truth and to be respectful of the truth of others. Acknowledging that all people, people's presence is a valid contribution to our community and that each person's degree of participation will vary. It calls us to acknowledge our mistakes and shortcomings and seek to seek forgiveness and offer forgive, forgiveness in return. In moments of disappointment, anger, or resentment, to strive to assume the very best intent of everyone involved. And finally, agreeing that conflict is a natural part of congregational life. And that we step back and reflect on our feelings in times of conflict, and we refrain from disparaging one another. And then it says, we further commit to adhere to a conflict resolution procedure. It's a beautiful thing belonging to a covenant like that. In a practical sense, this is one of the ways, a very huge way that we hold each other in love and care. Basically, this agreement that we make to each other says that we would say directly to someone what we would say about them, especially in times of conflict, and that we'll do our own work and look at our own part. Conflict, remember, is just two different ideas occurring at the same time. We agree to have direct conversations with each other and to encourage each other to have the courage to do that. Because it can feel risky, even in a community such as this. And that can cover the gamut from feeling deeply hurt by something someone has done or said, if we find that we can't let it go, 
to having suggestions, questions, or ideas about church life and taking them to the person or the group responsible. And I'll say here that it also has to do with grace and forgiveness, that sometimes we're just called to extend extra grace to other human beings. Like, sometimes other people just need extra grace, right? And sometimes the person who needs extra grace is me, is you. And sometimes we're just called to forgive and to have those hard conversations. James Baldwin says, the moment we cease to hold each other, the moment we break faith with one another, the sea engulfs us and the light goes out. This applies to relationships in general and into humanity, the re relationship with us to the earth and uh, among ourselves. But here at this place is where we get to practice that. We get to practice what it means to hold each other in love and to know we are held. And it's not all sweetness, you know. Sometimes it can be really hard, but we stay with it and we stay at the table. And that deepens our sense of belonging, deepens our sense of who we are, both as individuals and as a community. Early in the pandemic, then Governing Board President Jenna Korff reminded us frequently that we belong to each other. I loved that so much, it kept me tethered for the past two and a half years. Douglas Steer writes that the ancient question, I'm going to get back to this, but I just love these sounds. Do you hear them? Oh my gosh, I just love it so much. We can hear the, for those of you on Zoom, we can hear the children outside. Douglas Steer writes that the ancient question, who am I, inevitably leads to a deeper one. Whose am I? Whose am I? Because there's no identity outside of relationship. You cannot be a person by yourself. Sawabona, I see you. And because I'm seen, I exist, right? Because I see you, you exist. Because I see you, you exist. Because you see me, I exist. To ask whose am I is to extend the question far beyond the little absorbed self and wonder who needs you, who loves you, to whom are you accountable? To whom do you answer? Who is altered by your life choices? With whose life is yours all bound up inextricably in obvious or invisible ways? When we ask the question, whose are we? To whom do we belong? I'm reminded of the quote by Gwendolyn Brooks. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. 
The true blessing of belonging is not that we get to come inside the circle, it's that we get to participate in expanding it. Again, as the circle grows, so do we. So let us then draw the circle wider and wider still to make room and space and belonging a reality for all, to see all of existence as belonging to the larger whole. May that be so all the days of our lives and for the life of this congregation. Blessed be and amen.